Good morning. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Exodus 18. And I want to thank Sarah for printing this in a huge print for me. <laughs> uh, on, in the Pew Bible, if you want to read along, it's on page 58. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of the Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Jethro's father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses but the simple, simple cases they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you, Marilyn. Let's just pause and pray now. Lord, um, would you open our eyes to what is here in this story? There's a lot that we could take from this, but help us to um, see what it is you want for each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to a really unique and fascinating chapter in Exodus which is very different from the chapters around it. And at first glance, um, it seems hard to understand what this is for. I know when James is picking out music this week, he's like, I just, I'm not coming up with anything here. There are no songs about leadership delegation. (laughs) He didn't say that, but you know. uh, That's what I thought when I first uh, was, was reviewing this passage a few weeks or months ago in preparation. I thought, ah, what am I going to preach about this? Maybe a sermon about Christian leadership or something? But when I came back to it, and as I studied it more, I realized that this peculiar passage in Exodus 18 has a very timely message for the church. I would say a pressing message for us and for the church as a whole. It deals with the age-old problem of how the church relates to outsiders. Have you ever been an outsider somewhere? A new, a new neighborhood, a new job, visiting a church, maybe sitting in the cafeteria, not with the other kids. You know what it feels like to be an outsider. The church is a group of insiders to something, right? To the gospel. And how do we relate to people on the outside who want to come in? Well, this passage says a lot about that. You know, it's natural to want to find a group to belong to and to be part of and to be secure in. Um, But we all know that that can go sour quickly when it becomes about us versus them, or when you start seeing people solely based on are they one of us or are they not, or when you believe your little group has all the truth, or um, when you start hating people outside your tribe. This happens in politics. It happens in schools. It happens everywhere. We call it tribalism. But whenever the church begins to act like that with a tribal mentality or a strong in-group, out-group mentality, it actually loses the gospel because Jesus did not come to start a new group or a new tribe. He came with a kingdom that is for all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. So how does the church now relate to those on the outside? Because it's not as if there is no inside and outside. There's a clear you know, what it means to be in is to believe in Jesus and to trust him alone. But what do, we, what do we do to people on the outside who want to come in? Well, Exodus 18 describes this meeting between Moses and Jethro. Now, Jethro, in some ways, is an insider because he's Moses' father-in-law. But to the faith of Israel, he is a complete outsider. He's a, a Midianite. He's not ethnically Israelite. Um, He's a priest of Midian, which means he was in some ways a leader in the Midianite religion, whatever that was. 
It wasn't worship of Yahweh, of Israel's God. So he was an outsider to the faith. Now the story answers two questions that we, the church, really need to get. Uh, If we have the wrong answers to these questions, we um, lose Christianity. So these are the two questions we're going to answer. Number one, who is the gospel for? Who is it for? And number two, what happens when outsiders come in? What should happen? So, so who is the gospel for? Let's take this first question. And we'll look at the story. Uh, Exodus 18. Please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Exodus 18. We read in the first half of this chapter how Moses reunites with his father-in-law, Jethro. The last time Moses saw Jethro was a few months before. Remember when Moses had left Midian to go back to Egypt on a mission from God and Jethro gave him his blessing. Moses went back. At some point, Moses returned his family back to Jethro, probably for safety. Um, But now there's this reunion. Moses is back in town in the neighborhood where Jethro is from, near Sinai. Not as a shepherd, but as the leader of this new nation. And a lot has happened since they last saw each other. So there's a lot to catch up on, right? Well, the two men um, talk. We know from verse 1 that Jethro had already heard rumors of what had happened at the Red Sea and in Egypt with the plagues. News had spread. But he was eager to hear the whole story, and Moses was eager to tell it. So verse 8 says, Moses told his father-in-law about all the good things the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, Sorry, all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, And about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now the word in verse 8, Moses told, is actually a stronger word that means he declared or he preached. He was preaching the good news, declaring the gospel of what God had done to his father-in-law. And what does Jethro do after he hears this story? Verses 9 through 11. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, that was the word there, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Did you catch that? The Lord, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. What is going on here? Jethro comes to believe in Israel's God, Yahweh. He is the first convert in the Bible, the first outsider to become a follower of God. This is very important. So 
At the very least, he comes to believe that Yahweh is the true God and greater than all the gods he has trusted in before. If not believing that God, Yahweh, is the only God that actually exists, he comes in, he believes. And it's not just lip service. Uh, We're told that Jethro actually brings a burnt offering and then offers sacrifices to God and then eats a fellowship meal with Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel. So so Jethro is the first convert. He, He moves his trust and loyalty from the Midianite gods to Yahweh, Israel's God. He's an outsider who becomes an insider. So this is showing us the gospel is for everyone, for all people, all nations. That has always been um, God's intention. Do you remember um, Genesis 12 when God called Abraham and said, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. It's always been not just about the people of Israel, but the whole world. And so now we see the nations coming and trusting in Israel's God. Um, let, me, let me put it this way. Who, who can get in on the faith of Israel? It's not um, the ethnic people of Israel. It's, it's not um, some other marker. It's simply faith. Jethro had faith in Israel's God. So there's one gospel for all people. Uh, The gospel is for everyone. There's one capital T truth for all the world. For all the world. Now, fast forward a few millennia to Jesus. And how did Jesus pick this up? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, when Peter preached about this in Acts 4.12, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's one gospel, one truth. Um, Lots of people have a hard time accepting the exclusivity of the gospel. A friend of ours, uh, last time we ran an Alpha study, was really struggling with this idea and said, I just can't accept that Jesus is the only way. It just does not line up with the way I see the world. And sh- that person is not alone in that belief. It's... It, it seems like a totally ludicrous idea for so many modern people that there's this one way, one God, one truth. But I would say flip that around and the gospel is also the most inclusive message on the planet because um, the boundary between being out and being in is not so many things. It's not your language. It's not your skin color. It's not your ethnicity or ancestry. It's not your political views. It's not your religious background. 
It is not so many things. Everyone is invited in. Everyone is um, uh, under. Everyone can get in on the good news that is preached in the gospel. Does that make sense? Um, And for that reason, Christianity has mission in its DNA. Jesus said, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. All people groups, all ethnicities, everyone. Preach the truth far and wide. And that has happened imperfectly, but it's happened through history. And we've seen as the kingdom of God has grown that the gospel is for Kenyans and New Zealanders and Brazilians and Americans. It's for Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus. It's for Catholics and Baptists. It's for college professors and trash collectors. There's one truth, and it's for everyone. I hope I'm not making too simple a point here, but this is so essential for us to understand. There's one gospel, and it's for everyone. That is what is hinted at here in Exodus 18. Without that conviction that the gospel is for everyone, you don't have Christianity. You have something else. Um, True Christianity has this burning desire to see Jesus' name proclaimed in all the earth to all peoples. So who is the gospel for? It's for everyone. Number two, what do outsiders bring in? What do we do when outsiders come in? This is where I think... uh, I think this message is going to get more challenging for us church people, <laughs> to be honest. Because we can say, yeah, the gospel's for everyone. There's one truth. Jesus is the only way. But then what happens when people start coming to Jesus from other backgrounds? The church has had a hard time with that. Christians are often quick to say, well, of course, there's one truth and it's for everyone. And you can... You can be part of us as long as you become exactly like us, right? So the second half of this story is really important. Um, And let's summarize what happens. I'm not going to read every verse of this, but uh, Moses goes out to do his job as the leader of Israel. Uh, Part of this job is to resolve disputes between people or to teach God's um, laws to the people. Um, but, but Jethro sees what's happening and said, says, Moses, this, you're doing it all wrong. Verse 18, he said, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You cannot handle it alone. Um, I skipped, sorry, verse 13. The people stood around him from morning till evening. So everyone is waiting their turn to speak with Moses. Imagine one teacher for all of Georgia Elementary and Middle School and all the kids have to, have to get help with their classes from that one teacher. Pretty, um, doesn't make sense, right? So Jethro 
drawing from his wisdom as a Midianite priest, right, as a pagan, he gives, he gives Moses some wisdom from his pagan background and said, Moses, you're doing it all wrong. Appoint men under you to be, uh, you know, they can handle the minor things and then only the complicated cases will come to you. And Moses takes his advice. Now, we can breeze over that, but it's important to see here what's actually happening. Uh, there's, there, I'm sure there's, there's truths you can glean from this passage about um, leadership. Uh, it also points to the fact that in the New Covenant, you know, we all have God's law written on our hearts. We don't have to sit around waiting for someone to tell us. But here's what I want to point out. The gospel's for all people, and the church needs what outsiders bring in. The church needs what outsiders bring in. That's the second truth. Another way to say it is there's one capital T truth, there's one gospel, one God, but there's lots of lowercase t truths in the world that the church needs outsiders to bring in. We need what other people have. And I think the text shows us this in an, in an interesting way. Um, think about this. If Moses was God's chosen instrument and God spoke to him directly often, why didn't God just tell Moses hey, you need to delegate leadership. Don't wear yourself out. God could have done that. Why didn't God do that? I think the only answer that makes sense is that God wanted to teach Moses and to teach us that he needed wisdom from outsiders. He needed the wisdom Jethro had. The text infers or, or, or the text makes it clear that God was actually speaking through Jethro to Moses. So it's not just like Jethro shared a good idea, but God was speaking through this outsider to the prophet of God. And that is a truth the church has always struggled with. So again, we're happy to say... Um, the gospel's for everyone, um, but as long as you do it our way, or become like us, or adopt our culture, or our traditions, or do things the way we've been doing them. Let me tell you a couple stories that illustrate how that has happened through history. So in the early years of the church, you know, the first few decades of Christianity, the main issue was Jews and Gentiles. You know what Gentiles are? Uh, pagans, those who were not believers in Israel's God, those who were not Jews. And the biggest issue in the church in the first, cent the first decades was how can Jews and Gentiles be together? Because Jewish Christians looked down their noses at the Gentile Christians. Um, they would say, uh, they would say, how can, how can someone who 
eats pigs and works on Saturday possibly be as, as good a member of our church or as, as close to God as I can? Because they're not part of the in-group. They don't, they don't know the law. You see? And Paul and the apostles wrote to say, Gentiles and Jews are full brothers and sisters in Christ. And without the Gentiles coming into the church, Christianity would have remained an obscure Jewish sect. It never would have gone to the ends of the earth. The church needed what Gentiles brought in. Another story from recent history, some of you lived through this, and I'm curious to see if this happened here, but in the 1970s, late 60s and 70s, um, hippies in California started coming to faith in Jesus. It, they were called the Jesus people. Do you remember this? The Jesus freaks, Jesus people. Um, they wrote music, they wrote worship songs using guitars, and they baptized people in the ocean, and they had long hair, and some of them lived in Christian communes, right? What do you think happened when these people showed up at church? They walked in and saw the straight-laced, suit-and-tie-wearing Baptists and Presbyterians. A lot of those straight-laced Christians said, Thanks, but no thanks. We are so glad you found Jesus, but go make your own church. You know, we don't need all that hippie stuff in our church. Without what God did in the hippie Jesus freak movement, we would not have any of the modern worship music that we sing today. The church needed that fresh infusion of of um, God's spirit and God's wisdom and God's gifting. The church needed them. You see, the minute God's people say, we have it all figured out, we have all the truth, we have nothing left to learn, is the minute that we lose the truth. Right? It takes all cultures, languages, experiences, perspectives to make the church what it needs to be. And I would say, without new things coming in, the church gets stagnant and stale, and it dies. That's the way God designed it. Now, I'm about to wrap this up, but I want to be clear that I am not saying that the church should accept everything that people want to bring into it. There are standards set in God's word, just as Jethro didn't say, Moses, I, I want to worship your God, and I want to add my Midianite God um, altar next to Yahweh's altar. He didn't say that. And I wouldn't say, you know, look in your bulletins for the, um, the Tuesday night palm read, Christian palm reading group. Please come and join that. Or some newer members of the church are interested in swapping spouses. So... <laughs> If anyone would like to join in, meet them in the vestry after the service. There are certain standards in God's word, right? The capital T truth doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. But we must be flexible on everything else. So let me apply this to our church and then to the church as a whole. 
So when you think about these truths in our Georgia Plain Baptist Church, let's refuse as a church to have an in-group, out-group mentality. Um, so do we have humility like Moses did to receive what outsiders bring in and to say, let's try that. Let's do it a different way. Are we teachable? On the flip side of that, if you are newer to our church, if you're coming from an, another church tradition or if you're coming to Christ for the first time, I want to say loud and clear that we need what you have to bring. You may have a gifting that our church lacks. You may have some experience that our church doesn't have. You may have a skill or a way of doing things that we need to learn from. We need what you have. You may have a testimony that someone needs to hear. Okay, let me zoom out now to the, the global level. Um, the church in our country, and that includes our church and you and me, needs to understand that Christianity is not an American thing. We do not own it, and we never have. Christianity is a global, multicultural movement. Um, the large majority of Christians in this world don't speak English as their first language. They don't have white skin. They live in Africa, Asia, South America. Okay, that's the majority of the church right now in the world. They don't see things the way we do. They're not Americans. So I think we need to be very firm in rejecting any of this nonsense that you hear that white Americans need to fight for our Christian heritage and keep America the way that it's always been. That is not a Christian way of viewing things. God is drawing people from all nations to himself. And it takes all of that diversity for the church to be complete. So turn in your Bibles, please. This is where we'll end. To the book of Revelation. Chapter 7 and verse 9. <clears throat> Revelation 7, verses 9 through 11. This is John, the Apostle John's vision of heaven. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. Now, who, who is the in-group in this passage? In heaven, it's everyone. It's all nations, all peoples, all languages. 
They're all represented there. And what are they doing? They're all united in worship with palms raised and voices raised to Jesus, to the Lamb. Everyone in that crowd is a Jethro who heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and put their trust in him. Some of you here today are like Jethro. You are an outsider to the faith or maybe just to this church. You're hearing the news about Jesus and deciding to put your faith in him. All of us were like that at one point. Um, Others today are like Moses, declaring the good news about what God has done. And when people come in hearing that news, may we have the humility to receive the wisdom and the truth that they bring. Let's pray.